So welcome to the eighth episode of the Bristol Grammar School GCSE Class Civ podcast. Um, this one is about journeying to the underworld. Um, it's again, it's another short one like um, section seven. Um, and there are two stories in this one. Um, one is one we've already mentioned in the section on the gods, and that is the Homeric hymn to Demeter. That's in the Greek story, Persephone and Demeter. And the Roman story um, isn't really Roman, but it is told by a Roman poet. And that is Ovid uh, in his Metamorphoses. Um, that's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Now, the key thing to make sure uh, we really emphasise to you on this one is that there is no um, replacement, really, for just going and reading the prescribed sources. So we're less than a minute in, but I'm really going to say to you, um, you're not going to get as much out of this podcast if you don't just pause it now, go and read those sections um, and come back to it and it will make a lot more sense. Hopefully you've now done that and you're back with us. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about one or two of the themes, but actually focusing a little bit more on the characters of those uh, stories and what they perhaps tell us about why uh, the Greeks and Romans tell these stories, what what they actually give us. Um, Now you'll know that uh, from your understanding of um, religions uh, in the modern day, religions uh, in ancient times as well, that very often one of the things that religions make sure they do is that they talk about what is beyond this world, this idea of something that is kind of beyond the human um, kind of knowledge. Um, And one of those things is what happens after you die. Um, And people rely on religions a lot with this because there's no way of trying it out and coming back and um, sort of explaining uh, people can't do scientific experiments into it, so therefore people are looking at it, and uh, there have been a lot of stories have been told over the years. And these are two of those stories. Okay, so if I start with um, the Persephone and Demeter one, I'm not going to tell the story because you, you can do that yourself by reading it. You can go back and uh, listen to some of the things on Demeter as part of the gods section of the podcast. But um, the characters in the, uh, the story, well, let's start with Demeter um, and let's, let's have a look at um, what we learn about Demeter from this story. So we learn that she's the goddess of the harvest. She's the sister of Poseidon, Hades and Zeus. She's the mother of Persephone and she's given this epithet, lovely hair. And she's, she's a really powerful, and important character. Um, what is it that creates that um, that? sort of um, conflict though here for Demeter do you think? Well I mean she's her own daughter has been abducted so she's clearly upset for the loss of her daughter but the person who's abducted her is her her own brother Hades and it's her other brother Zeus who's king of the gods who's given his consent to that abduction. Absolutely so the next character is Persephone she's uh, Demeter's daughter and she's known by the epithet slender ankles Persephone of the slender ankles and this is something that the Greeks seem to be very uh, fond of this idea of having uh, very sort of tender and gentle uh, ankles Um, and it really sort of sets her aside as being this kind of young maiden figure okay in Greek she's known as the Korah the kind of uh, the 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 maiden girl Um, and there's something of this idea that the Greeks were very uh, scared of basically people dying when they were too young Um, and it must have happened a lot just as it happens today that somebody has got their life ahead of them and Persephone uh, you know is looking forward to getting married and having a life and you know for a Greek woman that meant 
bringing up children and, uh, you know, making your husband happy. But all of a sudden she's stolen away by Hades and everything that might have happened sort of gets taken away by that. So death, in a sense, really is represented here by Hades. Um, and Persephone is kind of the unknowing kind of, you know, hopeful figure who just gets stolen away from that. And I think that symbol of her as sort of innocent and young is brought out by the fact that she's there picking flowers, a quite, quite a young, innocent act to be doing with her friends, who are, of course, the daughters of Oceanus. Now, the man who snatches away is Hades, and the place he takes her to is Hades. But actually, he doesn't get called Hades very often in the whole Homeric hymn to Demeter. More typically, he's called God who receives so many, the ruler of many, the receiver of many. Uh, and we talked about in um, the first chapter, the first podcast, about he was the wealthiest of gods because everybody who has ever lived, everybody who lives and everybody who will ever live will ultimately end up in his realm. Of course, that is every mortal, um, but there are some who don't die and those are the gods. And that's one of the, I mean, that, that's really the only difference between gods and uh, human beings in the Greek world, which is that the gods don't die. Um, and uh, the most important god here, Zeus, um, is interacting in this story and is, it becomes very, very important because, in a sense, Zeus is kind of doing his best to help out Demeter. But what is really crucial here is that he can't do what he wants to do because Hades is, you know, just about as powerful as he is. And so you, therefore you've got this conflict between the gods, which really gets to the bottom of what this Greek concept of deity, of, of, of gods in the first place is. You know, is it that God is perfect? Well, no. Is it that God kind of always wants the best for human beings? No, definitely not. The gods basically are having this battle. Um, and here Zeus says, well, I'd quite like Demeter's daughter Persephone to come back. Hades says, sorry, that's not going to happen because I've got her here. So there's this battle. Um, and that represents, I think, for the Greeks, this idea of the battle between life and death. Everybody, you know, somebody's family will all want you to kind of, um, you know, the, the children to, to live to a great old age and have children themselves. But actually, sometimes death has other plans. Similarly, you're in, involved in a war. Um, you know, people sort of battling one way or another, eventually there are people who are going to die. And that's just something that cannot be escaped, just as Persephone cannot escape from the underworld. Not for all of it. Um, and uh, there is an element to which, of course, this tells the story of why um, the Greeks think that they um, have seasons. Um, but seasons is an interesting thing because you've got death, but then you've got rebirth. Um, so this is kind of this idea of this hope that once one person dies, well, maybe you can have more children. Maybe there will be more people born who can replace them in some sense. So it's, it's a very deep kind of idea there, I think. The final three characters we meet in this story are three gods. They all begin with H. Helios, Hecate and Hermes. Helios is the god of the sun, in that he sort of physically is the sun. Um, it gets a bit confusing with Apollo also having dominion over the sun, but that's Greek gods for you. Um, and there's Hecate, who is the goddess of magic, witchcraft. Um, after nine days of searching for her daughter, um, Hecate comes to Demeter and says, look, I heard her being snatched away. 
but I didn't see it. So Hecate joins forces with Demeter and they go and talk to Helios. A sun god, he's got a good angle to look at things. And he says, yep, I saw it. And he says, it was Zeus that had offered Persephone to Hades. The final character then uh, we meet, as I mentioned, was Hermes. We know him well. He is uh, obviously the messenger god. He's a son of Zeus. And here he's sometimes referred to as the slayer of Argos. Each god has the, one, a selection of epithets, and that's the one used here, slayer of Argos. Um, and his job, as one of the few individual immortals who can travel to the underworld, is to go and pass this message on to Hades. So that's the story of Demetri and Persephone, um, and that's the Greek story. The Roman story, I've said before, it's not really a Roman story, but the story told by the Roman author is the <coughs> story of um, Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, and the characters in this um, are interesting. So some of them are the same. Um, so you'll, um, you'll come across the, uh, the character who's called Proserpina. That's just Persephone, but by a Roman name. Um, you've got the character called Pluto. That's just Hades, but by a Roman name. So some of them are the same. But these two main characters in it, Orpheus and Eurydice, um, are a little bit different in a lot of ways to Demeter and Persephone because they come across as being really quite human. Um, Orpheus actually has sort of slightly godly origins. Um, he may have been uh, the, the, the son of Apollo, although some stories tell him as, as being um, the son of a Thracian king. Um, but his mother pretty much definitely was a muse. And yet it doesn't come across from this story, from the way Ovid um, tells it. It doesn't come across that he's kind of godly in the way that maybe Demeter um, was at all, because he's just a normal bloke, except he's got abnormal powers he's got supernormal powers um and that is he's able to tell um he's able to sing these amazing songs and play these amazing tunes um on the lyre so the fact that what happens to him and to his wife Eurydice is so tragic um in a way you can argue that it is more affecting more upsetting than with the gods and sort of demigoddesses um, of the previous story because it's a sort of story that could happen to all of us now the story itself and the plot of it um, is one which I very often hear people talking about it as being just unrealistic because of course you wouldn't look back and yet I think that's one where um, people will argue that as you go through more experiences in life, you realise that as much as things may seem obvious, of course you don't turn round and look because you've been told not to. You know, in the story of um, of Oedipus, some of you may know that story, of course you don't sleep with a woman who's 20 years older than you if you've had an oracle that says you're going to sleep with your mother. And yet people keep doing things, and in life people experience things that seem so obvious when you look back at it but hindsight is only easy when you're sitting looking at a textbook it's not easy necessarily in the real world so that's one of the things I think this Orpheus and Eurydice story tells us um, let's just talk through a little bit about the character of Orpheus and Eurydice so um, Orpheus is a amazing musician he played the lyre, which is that harp-like instrument of ancient Greece that was designed to use up as many different animals as possible. So the body of it was a tortoise shell. The, uh, the two sides were horns of, a, of, a, of some kind of horned animal. And the strings were the guts of, of, of 
different animals. Um, and so uh, he played this harp-like instrument and he was taught to play it by Apollo, the god of music. And he was taught how to sing by his mother, who was a muse. So he's clearly very good. In fact, he was so good he could enchant anyone, be that god or human or animal or anything. He could even get uh, stones, trees, mountains would move at the power of his voice. Um, and he fell in love with a young maiden called Eurydice. It's one of those many, many e, e names that you have to learn uh, throughout this course. Eurydice, spelt like Eurydice. Um, and that's his wife. And at the wedding, he calls Hymen. Um, and that's, again, one of our many gods whose name begins with H. Um, and this is the god of weddings. And Hymen appeared at the wedding. However, we have a bit of sort of foreshadowing here. Um, whilst Hymen was present at the wedding, he didn't say the usual words. He wasn't joyful in expression. Um, he was holding a torch, which is sort of a symbol of marriage in the Roman world. However, it kept sputtering. It didn't hold its, uh, its light particularly well. And so this sort of was a foreboding image that didn't bode well for the marriage of Eurydice and uh, Orpheus. And tragedy struck. Uh, Eurydice one day was walking along the riverbank uh, not long after their wedding and she was bitten by a poisonous snake uh, and she died. So this is uh, what sends Eurydice to the underworld. So Eurydice ends up uh, in the underworld um, and uh, there is a moment when Orpheus ultimately um, has such an extreme reaction to the death. Um, now, mourning is something which we talked about in section seven, but the poet Ovid wants to portray such um, such an intense reaction that basically he cares so much that he actually wants to go down to the underworld himself. And I think, again, that's something that really typifies this story. It's about this extremity of emotion. Um, and Orpheus uh, realises he has this talent and realises because he is connected to the gods, you know, he's either born of two gods or he's born of one um, sort of divine muse. And so therefore, when he gets down there, he uh, argues with Pluto and the strength of his passion and the extremity of his talent um, actually wins Pluto over. Um, or wins Hades over, um, and uh, you know the, the 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 furies that that are around these kind of vicious creatures who live in the underworld. That they're, they're even um, kind of uh, moved to tears by his song, and so they say, "Yes, you can have her back." But then, just as there is with this moment of the pomegranate seed um, uh, in the story of Demeter and Persephone, there is this moment of, well, you know what's going to happen because he says, that's fine. As long as you don't turn your eyes behind you, then, yep, you can have her back. And of course, that's the one thing that happens. It's this idea of this foreshadowing, this constant foreshadowing, as happened in Demeter and Persephone. At no point in that story do you think, oh, it's all going to work out nicely. Of course, she's going to come back. Everything's going to be fine. And they'll live happily ever after. Well, no, not in this case. They don't live happily ever after. She's pulled back into the underworld and then there's no extra bit. There's no sort of epilogue. There's no bit that comes afterwards that says, 
But actually, then it was okay because, no, the Romans, just like the Greeks, they're not afraid of a, of a sad ending. Okay, they're not kind of Hollywood producers who always like to have a happy ending um, because in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, very often because of the high mortality rate, there would be a terrible, terrible, sad, tragic ending. And that's exactly what happens here. So there we go. That's Journey into the Underworld. Um, and that's the eighth one. And that's the last one from Myth and Religion.